Good morning, I'm Pastor Mike, and I would like to bring you in all on a little secret, a dirty secret. I am a debate addict. I thrive off of it. I love it, which can be a really great quality about myself when I use that to allow me to test and evolve my beliefs by talking them through with others. But it can also be a terrible quality when it merges with one of my greatest character defects, pride. A combination that can make me driven not to find truth in a debate, but to just want to win at all costs, no matter what. To just want to be right, even if I might be wrong. And in particular, this combination has been troublesome when it's collided with what I studied at the University of Florida Go Gators, which was political science. I am fascinated, I have always been fascinated by political thought and theory, and thus I just love to debate politics. Usually to disastrous and unproductive effect, but I'm sure I'm the only one with that problem. Uh, none of you guys struggle with that. And there's one experience um, about this combination that I want to share today. I was fresh in my studies at UF, which meant that I had taken some introductory classes in comparative politics, which actually meant that I believed I knew everything. Nothing like comparative politics 101 to help a 19-year-old kid think that they get every problem of our world and their solutions, but I digress. Anyway, I was hanging out with a, with a group of friends, which included some guys I knew really well, and then this one guy, a friend of a friend who I didn't know at all. And we were having a beer, and the conversation, as it always does with Mike Overstreet, eventually veered into politics, and down the rabbit hole we went. And I got into this heated debate with this guy I didn't know about America's electoral system. I was arguing how flawed it was. I was using every bit of my knowledge from that one semester of comparative politics because I was just pointing out how it uses this system called first-past-the-post that creates our two-party system, which none of you care about at all, and it highlights just how fun I am at parties. And he was defending it, and I was just going to town. I was hammering how the British system in particular was so different and so much better than ours. Yada, yada, yada. I can already feel some of your eyes rolling in the back of your head. But I just knew I was right. And as I ranted, this guy sat there. He was listening quietly. And then he began to grow this smirk across his face, which is probably the first red flag that I should have picked up on. So I finished talking. There's a long pause. He sips his drink. And then he responded. And he made four points very clear. First, he had a PhD in political science, which I think trumps my one semester in it. Second, he was from Britain and thus understood their system quite well. Third, I had apparently confused the electoral system of Britain with that of Germany, which meant, fourth, that I was 100% wrong in my argument. Because as he laid out the country I was using as evidence for my platform, in fact, uses the exact same system as we do. Then he took a sip again. He waited for my rebuttal. And y'all, I had nothing to say. 
I was humiliated. Even if I was right about my assessment of the system, my arrogance and my pride had just put me in the space that removed any ground to stand on. And in that situation and others like it, I learned two valuable lessons for life as a human being. First, that humility or a modest view of one's own exceptionalism or importance is something we only learn through humiliation. When our ego is humiliated, knocked down, laid bare, it's the only way we learn humility. And second, that humility is one of the greatest gifts that we never choose but can receive because we need it to be open to listening, learning, and growing in our pursuit of truth. Without it, we just go on being wrong, thinking we are right, debating from false positions forever, and never changing. And because of that, humility is just crucial to being a disciple of Jesus. We need it to open ourselves to the life of growth he calls us to. It is, its importance just cannot be overstated, which is why it is the next value of Element 3 Church that we are diving into in our series, Therefore, a series about who we are as a community, where we are exploring the inseparable bond between E3's theology, the beliefs and stories we claim to be true about God, humanity, others, our world, and our ethics, how we live together in community. This therefore baked into the New Testament vision of church, that how we live uniquely together as a community in the world is the evidence, the necessary therefore of the truth of Christ's story. What we at E3 call our values, the guardrails for behavior that reflect God's character, emerge from his Holy Spirit, and must inform how we live as a community in the world if we are to fulfill the vision that God has for our church and our mission that's been given to us. Seven core values of E3 that we are diving into through chapter 12 of the New Testament book, Romans, where Paul begins chapter 12 by laying down this huge therefore statement that he uses to shift from telling the story of Jesus over the first 11 chapters to laying out how a community that believes in him exists in the world. It's a rich, dense chapter that we are walking through verse by verse, step by step, where each verse recalls a larger theme or story from scripture that must inform how we at E3 live together as a community, our values. And today, we are looking at our third value, humility. Our belief at E3 that when the Holy Spirit is moving in and among us, we must maintain a posture of humility. To explore it, we start where we left off in Romans 12. As we saw last week, Paul instructed us to renew our minds to reflect Christ's own mind and how we see, understand, and engage everything and everyone. And then he continues in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. We read, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul says, developing this mind of Christ requires humility. 
And he gives us a picture of what humility is in the Christian life. And I think this is fascinating. You see, it isn't self-righteousness, believing that I can't be wrong or that I'm perfect. That is no business in the Christian life. But it's also not self-loathing, which I think we often confuse with humility, believing that I'm the worst person ever or I can never be right. No, you see, it's about right-sizing ourselves in light of our universal need for grace, recognizing that all of us are no worse or better than anyone else on planet Earth, that we are all, as human beings, equally a mixed bag of goodness and brokenness. See, Paul believes that we see ourselves accurately in this way, only by measuring ourselves correctly. He uses this metaphor of a measuring stick, everyone embracing the same standard of measure to equally measure themselves and others. This measuring stick of our faith, the story of Jesus, the story about how God, the creator of the universe, humbled himself for us. How in Jesus, God, came to meet and love us right where we were at, to be with us and to heal us, regardless of all we've done, whether we deserved it or not. A story of grace, a story that is defined by divine humility and levels anyone who believes it. It puts us all on the same ground. And through that story, we are freed to humbly see ourselves as we actually are, brokenness and all, because in the story of grace, Jesus has done that already, and he still emphatically declares that we are passionately and deeply loved by our God. This is why Paul says we must be shaped by humility if we are to reflect the God of the Bible. And believe it or not, Jesus said that as well. Over and over, Jesus taught in the Gospels that without humility, we miss the kingdom of God. We miss what God is doing in the world through Jesus. It's a principle captured in one of my favorite parables of Jesus from Luke chapter 18. It begins in verse 9. Jesus reads or says, To some who are confident, of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now stop. We have two men praying. One at first glance seems to belong, this religious man, and one who at first glance absolutely does not, this tax collector, who in Jesus's time would have been considered a traitor in the eyes of most Jewish people, in the eyes of the audience. Tax collectors were people who extorted their own nation for the Roman Empire. So we have a good guy, we have a bad guy. It seems so clear, easy peasy, but not so fast. Jesus continues, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up 
to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It can also be translated, the sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, that this man, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus draws this unexpected conclusion about who is closer to God in this story. And it's all about humility. I mean, just look at their prayers. The Pharisee focuses only on the bad things he does not do and then on his goodness, his piety. He fasts and gives more than required by the Jewish law, which is strictly true, but his heart is all wrong. I mean, just look at it. He only focuses on himself. One author I read during this week put it this way. He glances at God, but he contemplates himself. After opening After his opening word, he does not refer to God again, but he himself is never out of the picture in his prayer. Pride wrecks how he sees himself and other human beings. He's not broken, and this tax collector isn't a beloved human being on the same level as him. He's just evidence of the Pharisee's superiority. So he focuses on the sins of others, to ignore his worst sins in Jesus' eyes. Pride, self-righteousness, judgmentalism. It's essentially a man saying, thank you, God, that I'm not one of those people. A heart posture that just blinds him to his own need for grace. And Jesus says, in that posture, you've missed the kingdom of God. And then Jesus turns to this tax collector, this man at the bottom of the moral totem pole for his audience. And this tax collector, he looks down, not up. He beats his breast in sorrow and remorse. And he says, have mercy on me. I am the sinner. He doesn't look at the sins of others to ignore or excuse his own. He only measures himself accurately by focusing completely on his own need for grace and his desire to be made right by God. His eyes don't stray anywhere else, just right here. And Jesus says he gets it, closing with this resounding principle about how we must see ourselves in the kingdom of God. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's what it means to think of ourselves with sober judgment through the measuring stick of Jesus Christ, knowing that we've all made mistakes, that we all continue to make mistakes, that we've all contributed to the brokenness of our world. And yet, Paradoxically, at the same time, we can know that in Christ we are still equally and deeply loved by our God. Jesus believes that if you know that story, you must be humble in response to it because you must be humble if you were going to be like the God behind that story. This is why maintaining this posture of humility is so central to being a church 
that reflects Jesus Christ in his story. It must shape everything we do. But specifically E3, I believe it must shape our church in some key ways. First, humility must define how we think about growth. Self-righteousness and self-loathing are disastrous for life in the kingdom. Both trap us where we are at. Both keep us from moving forward. Christ-like humility isn't about those things. It is about self-honesty and right-sizing ourselves, and we need both to grow. We need to see ourselves as we actually are, not as we wish we were. Not for shame, but to face our brokenness through grace as it is rejecting the false belief that our failures condemn us in the story of God, that we are only the sum of the worst things we've ever done. Christ-like humility lets us accurately name what's broken, face it before God, and through grace move towards healing and redemption and being made right. Second, humility must inform how we seek growth in community. The Christian life is not just an individual experience. It's not just me and God. We need community to grow in Christ-likeness. We all have blind spots as human beings that lead us at times to stand by ourselves, praising God for how great we are while missing where we still need grace, where we still need to grow. Christ tells me that I can't see myself clearly without other people. I can't see me without you, church. That I will never have all the answers. That I need people to see and speak into my blind spots so I can grow and heal. What humility does is it lets us embrace the words that are crucial for growth. I don't know. I might be wrong. Help me. We need humility and each other to find truth. We need to be able to learn, listen, and grow if we're going to grow into Christ-likeness, and we can only do that together. Third, humility must shape how we seek to achieve our mission as a church. Pride and self-loathing, self-righteousness, judgmentalism cannot form a healthy missional community. Pride produces control because it tells me I alone have the answers. I alone see things clearly in our mission. Everything must flow through me because I'm at the center of it all and I'm right. And then self-loathing produces apathy because it tells me I have nothing to offer because I'm not good enough. So I'll just stand at the sidelines. And in both, mission becomes about me, how good I am how bad I am, my ego, my validation, my recognition. But Christ-like humility gives us a better way. It tells us that no one is perfect or more important in the kingdom of God. Not me, not wise counsel, not anyone. And it reminds me that our mission as a church isn't about me. It's about putting myself aside to serve others to think of others ahead of myself, to put them before me and how I seek to serve my world, to be one small part in a kingdom far bigger than myself in order to glorify a God far greater than myself.
or anyone else. Humility lets us embrace those same words that are needed for growth as a community as well. I don't know. I can't see the problems or their solutions fully on my own. The only way that we can do this is if we do it together. We need humility to be what the church was meant to be. A diverse community with a sum greater than its individual parts where everyone is needed equally and has something to offer in the kingdom. Humility is the only way to achieve our mission in the world. And finally, humility must transform how we see and seek to help broken people, ourselves included. See, without humility, we, like the Pharisee, tend to put separation between us and others. We just begin to see a divide morally or spiritually that separates me and those people, which is a problem. You see, on one hand, just like the Pharisee, it wrecks how we see ourselves. Because in that posture, we focus on what others are failing at to ignore or excuse the brokenness in ourselves. For example, and I've, I've been here, so if you feel called out by this, know that I'm with you. It's easy to listen to a sermon like this and to start thinking of that person who could really use to hear it. Bob needs to hear this one, that arrogant, prideful sinner. But in that heart posture, Jesus says, bruh, you need to hear this because that pride and that judgmentalism in you is more damaging to yourself, others, our world than whatever you see in them. You need to deal with that first before you go around trying to fix other problems. And on the other hand, it stops us from helping broken people. We can't help someone like Christ would if we think we're better than them. That heart posture leads us to write off, neglect, and even hurt people who just need our help. That hits home for me. See, I've shared this story in the past at E3, but I'll share it again because I think it just, it just brings home the importance of this. It was, a, it was a time when I was in college, and a friend and I were walking around downtown Gainesville, and this homeless man comes up to ask for money. He had dirty clothes. Uh, he clearly hadn't bathed recently. Uh, you could tell he had been living on the street. And immediately, without second thought, I judged him. My first reaction was to pull away, to say, I don't have money with my voice, but with every part of my being to also say and to make it clear what I really wanted to communicate, get away from me. There needs to be separation between you and I. We are not on equal levels. Just get away. But my friend, see, my friend did something very different. My friend, you know, she said, I don't have money, but I would love to give you a hug if that's okay. And the tears just poured out of him. He said, thank you 
that would mean a lot. I haven't been hugged by another person in a very, very long time. And as I watched uh, this scene, it just sunk in. This man's life, his poverty, his misfortune had left him in a place without human touch, without basic human love and compassion for who knows how long. Something that had deeply wounded him, something that had broken him, something that I had in my pride and judgmentalism failed to see or heal because instead I just added to that wound. And y'all, I believe clearly that in that moment, Jesus looked at me and said, you are outside of the kingdom of God. Outside. We need humility to be the church, to be the body of Christ. In humility, we are forced to reckon with the truth of our faith, that all of us are on the same level as everyone else before God. That our job is not to think of it as you versus I, me versus you, to think of ourselves with superiority. No, our job is not to stand in judgment over others. It's to compare ourselves to one measurement, Jesus Christ, and to grow to be like him as we do so. When we get that right, we can listen. We can learn, we can change, we can heal, and we can actually be part of helping other people do that too. (laughs) We have to get it right. So E3, will we be a community of Christ-like humility? Will we look at ourselves with sober judgment, seeking to measure ourselves against the only measurement we have as Christians, Jesus Christ himself? Will we refuse to be like College Mike, forever seeking to win rather than find truth, forever judging, not helping, forever just missing the kingdom of God when it's in front of us? I believe we are a church that can live into its call. I believe that we can continue to grow, to be that more, But we need humility to do so. And if we find it, if we continue to lean into it, if we continue to define ourselves by that, well, E3, I believe we can and we will be the community that God has created us to be. A community for broken people. A community that heals. A community that's part of God's story. Where he came down. He humbled himself. He came to be with us, and he came to make things right. And I want to be a part of that story. And I believe E3 can and will be a part of that story. Amen.